This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week on the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions. Maybe you heard something in church yesterday you have a question about. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, lots going on. I hope you had a really, really good weekend at church. Uh, we did. It's nice to see people. You know, every week there are people that are coming back uh, into the fellowship from from uh, uh, the COVID restrictions, and and uh, it's just great to see them. Um, I had a tough study. In fact, the last three weeks, I think, have been pretty tough studies in First Corinthians. You know, when, when I'm seeking the Lord about what to teach, I knew when he said 1 Corinthians that it was going to be hard. I didn't think it was going to be this hard, at least this direct. But uh, it's almost as though God really wants to do something now. And the days that we're in with everything that's going on, whether it's COVID or the political situation, uh, even the animosity between believers over the politics issue that we've been talking about in this program for the last several weeks, um, it's almost like God says, now I've got him right where I want him. Let's get serious about walking with Jesus. I think God wants to do something. Audience, I think God really wants to do something. And all I know is I want to be someone who lets him do whatever he wants to do in us. Hey, tonight, before we get to questions, tonight we got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. Tonight at 7 o'clock you can make a family night of it, um, uh, high school and junior high school. Uh, meet at seven with uh, with our teachers, and of course the ladies and the men meet at seven o'clock. Ladies, you can watch Linda McMillan uh, live stream at calvarysa.com at seven o'clock as well. Okay, let's get to questions while we wait your phone calls. Jason says, "What is the best way to comfort a believer as he approaches death?" Um, Jason, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your question. Um. You know, I think sometimes death makes us so uncomfortable that too many of us as believers, we'd rather ignore it altogether. And I have found that that is the worst possible way to deal with it. So I really uh, am encouraged by your question, Jason. Uh, I can only tell you what I think is the best way to comfort them and what I do. Uh, I talk to them. You know, I found that usually it's the people in the family that don't want to talk about, oh, no, they're going to be fine or no, they're going to get through this. Um, but the, the, the person who's dying or the person going into surgery, whatever the situation is, they want to talk about it. And so, Jason, typically what I'll do is I'll sit down with them and just ask them, what's on your heart? I mean, you know what's going on. What's on your heart? How can I help you? And, and typically what I've learned is that they really want to talk about it. And so I, I typically will explain to them when the time is coming. I mean, when somebody's death is imminent, I explain to them exactly what's going to happen. I tell them that an angel is going to appear in the room. Nobody will see the angel except them. Um, the angel will simply take the real them, the spirit, out of the old, tired, physical body. And instantly then 
he or she will be in the presence of the Lord. And they want to know that. that you know, it's, the death is the unknown. And, and whether you're the most faithful Christian in the world or not, death is scary. And instinctively, we rebel against it. Paul says the last enemy is death. And so um, I, I want them to know it's going to be the best moment of their life. When that angel shows up and he extends his hand and he takes us from this old body, that truly will be the best moment of our lives because we'll instantly be in the presence of Jesus looking at that face. And then, Jason, what I tell them uh, after that is, is what to expect. And I go to Revelation chapter 1. And I'll share with them the description of Jesus in that chapter. Um, I, I want them to be comfortable. I want to I want to address any questions they might have about whether or not their faith is real. I want to give them every opportunity to unburden their heart completely. And I have found that that brings comfort and a peace. A lot of times, Jason, after I've had that conversation with somebody, uh, then they've been able to cogently uh, think about that. Well, the, here's what I want you to say at a funeral, or here's here's how I want to be remembered, or uh, just just they're able to talk about things that are important. I've had people tell me to take care of their loved ones who they're leaving behind. They want to know that they're going to be okay. So the the approach isn't the same for everybody, but believe me, the one thing that has worked best for everybody that I've dealt with in this situation is to. Uh, explain to them what's going to happen and then explain the one that they're going to see and the one that they're going to be with. And it's almost as though there's a sigh of relief. The secret's out. And that's typically what they want. It's a big burden to carry, Jason. And a lot of people, even faithful Christians, are frightened, really frightened at the prospect of death. I don't have anybody on the phone, so let me take just another minute with this one. Um, it's a time to encourage people. Now, this is more for the living, those who will be left behind. It's time to encourage them to um, make amends, to say they're sorry to people. Um, You know, especially in families, the dynamic can be so strained at times. Um, After talking to the person who is approaching death, um, it, it's it's often very helpful to go talk to the, the, the members of the family. We want to be sure that they're not feeling guilty. That, that, you know, there's not anything that's needed to be said that needed to be said that that, need, that has been thus far left unsaid. So it's a it's a really great opportunity, Jason, to minister to the entire family. And what I've found. Uh, is uh, is what I've shared with you. Um, I had a, a, a lady who's very dear to me. She's with Jesus now, and she was very, very dear to me. And she looked at me and she said, I thought God said he was going to heal me. And we get a lot of people, you know, it's uh, sort of we want to be well so badly we 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 impose that on Jesus. And And I said, well, sweetheart, he is going to heal you. At any moment now, you're going to be better than you've ever been. And I just find being real with people, being honest with them, pulling no punches is the best way. One other comment, Jason, this is the opposite of your situation. Uh, I have been there to comfort unbelievers as well. And I let them know there is no comfort apart from Christ. There's no time to pull punches or or, or uh, worry about how somebody's going to take it when they're only minutes or more away from every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And I, I just think with unbelievers, uh, what we really need to do is cut to the chase, be direct, and let them know that eternity separated from God is something they can't endure. And so, Jason, I hope that helps. Thank you and appreciate the heart so much that asked that question. Reggie says, Pastor Ron, is church membership biblical and how much authority should someone give a church or a pastor over their life? Reggie, um, um, church membership is not 
unbiblical. Let me say it that way. There's no place in the Bible that talks about uh, the need to belong to a local church or to go through a membership process. And I think that's very, very important. Um, You know, humans, you know, the laws started with 10 simple laws by the time man got done with it. You know, there was thousands of laws. Uh, I think we do the same thing with membership. I think it is vital, Reggie, to be an active, vibrant member of a functioning church. Uh, But church membership, there's no connection biblically to that concept. Um, I understand why people do it, um, but even the second part of your question, how much authority should someone give somebody over their life, that's scary. The only person who has authority over your life is Jesus himself. And when we sign a church membership covenant, remember, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think sometimes when we sign a church membership covenant, then later we don't want to be involved in that uh, I just really believe with all of my heart that uh, that's something that we ought to think about long and hard before we go into it. Again, it is not unbiblical to have church membership roles, but it's certainly no biblical foundation for it the way we understand it. Those churches who would exercise discipline, who would exercise control, or who would use church membership as leverage to get you to commit to uh, to, to giving a certain amount of your your uh, income to the church. I, I just think, personally, that's horrible, Reggie. And as it relates to giving people authority over your life, just don't do it. Now, we want to be good Christians, and we submit to the leadership, the spiritual leadership of, of the pastors and the elders in our churches. But that doesn't mean they control what we do. We don't go to them. Uh, we can go to them for counsel, but we don't go to them for permission uh, the pastor, I don't tell people in our church what to do. Um, if they come and they ask me what uh, I think they ought to do, we'll, we'll kind of prayerfully talk about it using the Bible as our, our foundation. But um, um, it's just not my job to go knocking on people's doors and call them and, and, uh, and, and tell them what they can and cannot do. So authority belongs to the Lord and to him alone. So Reggie, be very, very careful if you're being asked to sign a membership covenant that gives the leadership of the church um, any kind of control over your life at all. The church is there to edify, to strengthen, to equip you for the work of ministry, and all that work needs to be done. But uh, I, I just cannot tell you uh, how foreign it is to me in concept that you would go into a church building and give somebody authority over your lives. I just can't imagine. I uh, Years ago, Reggie, had somebody show up at church and, um, and uh, you know, we don't know who people are when they come in and we got so many people that I, I, I can't uh, know everybody and know their backstories. But these Husband and wife came to me after a church service and said, well, Pastor Ron, we really like the, the church here and we'd like to come, but we can't get our pastor to release us. And I said, what do you mean he won't release you? And um, I said, well, he says uh, that, that, that we need his release in order to leave the church or we're going to be excommunicated and we, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to get to heaven. And I just thought, this is so ridiculous. I said, you know what? Just do what you want to do as the Lord leads. And it was about two weeks later, and they kept coming to our church. They still do, by the way. And they kept coming to our church. And, and uh, I, I got a, an angry phone call from a pastor who, who uh, said, how dare you have somebody in your church when I haven't given you a release? And I just said, I, I can't imagine that you think I need a release from you to minister to somebody who comes to my church who's hurting. But that's just sort of what man does, Reggie. God is a great plan in the church. But let me tell you something. We people, we humans, we sort of mess things up, don't we? So be very, very careful. Very, very careful. Jackie asks a good question. Why did Paul make Timothy get circumcised? Um, Jackie, it wasn't you've got to do it. 
Timothy. Um, remember, Titus wasn't forced to be circumcised. Timothy, however, was half Jewish. And Paul knew that Timothy's calling, his ministry, was to be his protege. Paul knew he was going to be sharing the gospel with Jews. And he knew that an uncircumcised Timothy wouldn't be permitted to do this. So what Paul was telling Timothy wasn't that you have to be circumcised. What he was saying is, Timothy, let me expand the scope of your ministry. You're called to serve with me. If you want to minister to everybody, Jews and Gentiles, well, being circumcised won't keep you from ministering to Gentiles. But remaining uncircumcised will keep you from ministering to Jews. And so Timothy, a young man, this would have been a very painful thing that he would have had to endure. Um, uh, Paul simply doing Timothy a favor, and Timothy understood it, of course. So this wasn't a, you've got to do it, you've got to keep the law. Um, it was just, if you want to minister to a lot of people, the, 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 the full amount of people that God intends for you to minister to, then this is the way to do it. And, and Paul was asking Timothy to make that sacrifice to enhance his calling. You know, Jackie, I think sometimes pastors, we we don't realize that we're keeping people from being able to attend our churches. You know, I've had the approach, we've never done anything to help our church grow. We, we've not marketed our church. We haven't done anything. Um, but you know what? I teach the Bible. God brings the people. I don't want anybody to be offended. So I'm not all tatted up. Uh, and I like tattoos. I'm a wimp. I don't like pain, but I love tattoos. So I, I'm I am pro tat. But um, you know, if I've got a bunch of tattoos, there's going to be people who come in, and they're not going to listen to the word of God being taught, and they're going to go somewhere else. Um, we've got to maximize the effectiveness of our ministries by being available to preach the word to anyone and everyone who comes in. And that's what Paul was doing with Timothy. It's in our church culture, Jackie, what we ought to do as well. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, and we'd love uh, to get them. Here is a question that has come in our email inbox um, anonymously. It says, in your sermon on Sunday... You said that we should not associate with anyone who is blatantly sinning, especially sexual sin. If we have knowledge of someone in the body who is doing that and we've confronted them with that sin and they ignore um, or push us away, you said we should stop associating with them and distance ourselves from them. When should we go to the elders of the church like in Matthew chapter 18? Um, anonymous, a couple of things. Uh, first, I didn't say that, that we should single out sexual sinners. Um, that, that's cert- certainly not what we should do. We should not associate. And Paul's very direct in this. Um, do not associate. Do not even eat with such a man who, who proclaims to be a believer, but is living in willful sin. What I said about sexual sin was that sexual sin... Uh, does the most damage not only to the body but to the individual sinner as well. Sexual sin gives Satan a foothold uh, in our lives and we don't need to give him any help. So the idea that that sexual sin is a completely different category only applies to to the the destruction of the enemy. So here's what we should do. If you you have, and and Matthew 18 starts with you going to somebody individually. Uh, If you have knowledge of someone in the body who is sinning, uh, the examples I used uh, in the message yesterday, um, getting drunk, um, doing drugs, um, um, having sex with somebody that they're not married to, um, being unkind, somebody who's yelling and, and mean, those kind of things. If somebody's living that way and they're unrepentant, then we've got to go to them and tell them, bro, you can't behave like that. You say you're a Christian. Christians don't act like this. And if they ignore you, then Paul says that we stop associating with them. We, we, have, to, we have to put some distance between us. Now, what that should lead to in a church body, Anonymous, is that we um, um, go find somebody else 
that we can go to, take two or three others, uh, and, and talk to them again. Give them a second chance. And the way you do that uh, is simply to, to say, you know, I talked to you once, and you didn't listen to me, so I brought these two other brothers, people that care about you. And if they don't respond to that, well, then it's time to go to the church leaders and let them deal with it. And, and in the case of uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, he ordered them effectively to put the man out of the church, separate him from the cover of the church. Now, uh, we have a real hard time with that in our church culture because people just leave one church and go find a church two blocks away. But, but as a church, we've got to be um, concerned about dealing with sin in the church. And churches just don't do that anymore. We're so intent on getting people in the church. We're so intent on getting money in the offering boxes that we don't want to chase anybody away. And I think, I think we're poorer for it. And I think part of the reason the church in the United States, remember we're in the, even still, even today, we're in the, in the, in the country the most free on the face of this earth to teach the Bible, to raise disciples, um, I think the reason we don't have power is because we don't deal with sin. And Paul says if we don't deal with sin, then we really don't love the people that we claim to love. We don't want to be accused of being righteous or self-righteous. We don't want to be accused of being judgmental. Uh, it's easier just not to deal with it. But if you really love somebody, you can't let them live a lifestyle that will keep them from Jesus in heaven. So that what was the message about yesterday. I told you it was a tough one, and it really was. So uh, Matthew 18 is a three-step process. We got Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Happy Monday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Ray. It's Monday for sure. Yeah, I, I can reiterate that again, but no point. Um, Paula had mentioned... And I had almost called, but uh, it was more interesting to hear you guys. And what it was about was she made a, an aside comment that we'll write the book. And that that <laughs> made me wonder about your book. And the second thing, uh, you know, as, as far as maybe it's been put on hold or canceled because of the COVID or whatever, I don't know, but... Uh, we haven't discussed it in a long time. And uh, the second thing is you mentioned it uh, a little bit ago about uh, being left behind, and it brought to mind the the, the books. That, you know, people are uh, standing there going, what happened to them? There's their clothes and stuff, you know. And, and mm-hmm. so those those people that are left behind and see this uh, bunch of pile of clothes, you know, that they didn't go up and, and, you know, raptured or what, are they, are they still likely possibly to be saved? Um, Because it would certainly seem to me that that would, uh, you know, be the, the writing on the wall saying, Boy, you you didn't do too good. You're not even in the smoking <laughs> section. So I'll, I'll just uh, leave it at that and see what you come up with. Thank okay? you, Ray. I'll, yeah, thanks, Ray. I'll deal with this, the first part of your question on the other side of the break. Uh, the people that are left behind, um, you know, th- there is going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world. Now, when the people get saved, when the Great Tribulation starts, We've been raptured. The Great Tribulation begins, and, and nearly everyone who becomes a believer will give their lives. They will be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So um, you can see them in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. They're the saints under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord, until you, you avenge our death? Um, but but th- there's going to be a great revival, and yes, people are going to get saved. However, um, the rapture of the church, while it's going to be a witness to many, um, remember that there's going to be a spirit of deception. The light is gone in the world. When the church is taken out of here, it gets completely dark. And um, there's going to be a spirit of deception, a, a great falling away. 
Uh, and it's going to be so dark that people's hearts are going to get harder and harder and harder. And I personally think, Ray, that we're going to get explained away the whole idea of of uh, where did they go? Uh, I think we're going to be we, we're either captured by aliens or um, God took us out because we were the ones standing in the way of progress and peace in the world and those kind of things. But I honestly don't think people are going to miss us for very long. And those who do get saved because they, they've lost someone and we've witnessed to them, um, they're going to give their life for Jesus. Thanks for the question, Ray. I'll deal with the book part on the other side of the break. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. I'm still laughing at Ray's question about the book. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Ray, I... I I actually wish I'd never said anything about the book. Uh, we have a rough draft of the book. Um, what's happened is that a two-year project uh, has ended up taking um, seven to ten years. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been. Um, but uh, there, there is a, a man who is writing it with us. And, and you know what? I, I've just gotten to the point where uh, we're going to wait and see if this is the Lord's will or not. But I don't know when the book is going to be complete. Uh, we have a title for the book. It's called Paul is Jesus. Um, but um, it's just one of those things. Um, I, I don't know when it'll get done. I don't know if it'll get done. It's one of those things that, that might be um, the Lord's will. It might not be. But if it, if it is, it'll get done. So we're, we're, it's, it's, it's being worked on. Uh, but there's just so much going on. You'd, you'd think in this time of COVID, we'd have had time to, to do it. But um, at this point, uh, I don't have time to write it. I'm an old blind guy, and and um, uh, we've, we've laid all the groundwork now. It's just a matter of, of uh, if God really wants it done, I'm sure he'll push the buttons. And I'm not blaming God for the book not getting done. Uh, I just don't know when it's going to get done. You know, there are things that you, you projects that you start that you're pretty sure are, are, are spirit-led, and then you start to wonder, things happen. So uh, it's not something that we've given up on, but um, it's, it's a book I think personally would be worthwhile for people to read, but we'll just see. We'll just see. Maybe it'll be something that will be published posthumously. Who knows? <laughs> so that's the best I can do on the book, but I really wish I'd never said anything. I got excited when we got the rough draft of the of the book several years ago and thought, okay, well, we're close. And uh, I do get asked about uh, why don't I write a book? People listen to our testimonies and things like that. Um, and um, I've learned not to talk about books. <laughs> so, Ray, thanks very, very much. Here is a question from... Ariana from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. My husband and I were reading in Revelation and got a little confused when we read Revolution, Revelation 22.15. Just before we read that it was speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, but then it starts to talk about the new Jerusalem. So I'm a little confused. Just before this, the scripture starts to speak about the new heaven new earth. So it kind of sounds like the dogs, the sorcerers and the like are going to be on the new earth. I know totally misinterpreting this, so would you please shine some light on where I'm wrong? Let me read the passage, Ariana, and then I'll talk about it. Um, the, the, the verse 14 and 15, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's th- those of us who are believers, those who've come out of the Great Tribulation. 
uh, washing their robes is figurative language for uh, uh, being cleansed by the blood of Christ. It says, they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who live, uh, who love to live a lie. Um, Ariana, outside the city, um, that, that has nothing to do with the New Jerusalem and New York. That's just, those are the ones who are cast out. Now remember, dogs, that doesn't mean puppies. Um, dogs are what Jews call Gentiles, the ungodly, and even describes them, sexually immoral people, sorcerers, and murderers, and idol worshipers. Um, um, th- what he's saying is those are the people that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So that's all that means. But, but they're not going to be living in the new earth or the new Jerusalem or any place else. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that's what the reference is in Revelation chapter 22. The new heaven and the new earth. When uh, Peter, in, in his second epistle, he talks about the earth um, um, melting away. Um, heaven is perfect but there also has to be a new earth and more specifically a new Jerusalem on that earth. Jesus is going to rule and reign there forever. So we got two things. We got a new heaven and a new earth, um, different places and in, in on the earth, a new Jerusalem and the new earth is going to have to be completely new to, to accommodate the holiness of God, to accommodate the people of God. Uh, this earth sort of redeemed isn't going to be good enough. We're going to live on a redeemed earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But after the thousand years are up, then God's going to have to start all over. And there's going to be a new heaven, a beautiful new heaven prepared as a bride for her wedding. Uh, It's sort of, think of it as a a wedding gift to us. And and this this new earth is is going to be um, pre-fall. It's going to be the way God originally made it, pristine and magnificent. And I absolutely love um, the fact that, that yes, there's going to be heaven, um, a new heaven prepared for us, but we're also going to have a new earth. So we're going to go between both places. And Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem forever, but he's also going to be in heaven. He's the light in heaven. So it's hard for us to imagine. Um, it's not going to be one place it combines two, but it's very clearly two separate places altogether. But it has nothing to do with the dogs. They're going to be on the outside looking in. Uh, they're going to be the ones in torment forever and ever. So when you get to Revelation chapter 22, it is a, uh, uh, it, it's, it's as good as things can possibly get, better than we could ask or imagine. Um, Ariana, you and your husband, you might want to go to our website, calvarysa.com, and uh, Go to the end of uh, our study, and we'll um, um, you'll be able to get some of my commentary, specific commentary on it. Uh, unfortunately, we're not given a lot of information about heaven, other than it's perfect and there'll be no more weeping and no more sorrow. Um, um, the eating from the tree of life, we we, we can't imagine what uh, the Garden of Eden was like, um, and and so we're gonna live it. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Ariana. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, Cindy. Thank you. Okay. Well, this morning I was reading in Matthew, Matthew, and I was in chapter 16, verse 28, and I'll read it. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And, you know, I I know that you've had this question, and I know you've answered it, but I think that this COVID isolation is is turning, is killing my brain cells or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I wondered if you'd talk about that, because the thought that there might be somebody on earth that was standing there with Jesus is just really, you know, that's kind of cool, although that's probably not what it means, but... But I just thought, I thought I'd get to listen to what you have to say about it. Bye. Okay, thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, uh, um, in, in that particular case, there were three people, um, human beings on earth, who saw the kingdom in all of its glory. In all of the gospel accounts, that statement is made right before 
um, Jesus is, takes Peter, John, and James up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that's the reference. He's saying, some of you standing here, remember there's 12 disciples, and he's talking to them specifically. And he says, there are some standing here, and then, of course, they go right into the, to, to, uh, the transfiguration. And that's what Jesus was talking about there. And, and Peter, James, and John are the ones who had the privilege and the honor of being there. So that's what the reference is there. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, um, anything other than that. Uh, remember the chapter and verse divisions are man-made, and so the story just goes right in the next chapter, and it's always uh, followed by the transfiguration. When they saw him transfigured before their eyes, his clothes whiter than any bleach could make them. It's interesting to see how the different uh, gospel writers address that incident. Um, But here's what we know about that incident. Peter and John, both in their epistles, give us the indication that that was a life-changing moment for them. They never forgot it. They never forgot it. James, of course, it was life-changing for him as well. It's just that he wasn't alive very long. He was the first of the the apostles martyred for their faith. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jeff on line two. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, uh, is, is it date day today? <laughs> You're a little early, Jeff, or a little late. Oh, Oh, okay. The Gallup poll rating just went down about 40%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Ron, I just had to hear your voice like one-on-one. And um, I've been listening for the past two straight weeks, and I need you to like write me a hall pass or something that I give to my boss <laughs> that says that I can stop whenever I want to between four and five and call you. Because I haven't been yeah. able to call you for like two weeks. But well, just call it a late lunch. That's a, you know, why didn't I think of that? That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really appreciate, I appreciate Cindy. I, I love hearing her calls too. She, and, and she's part of your congregation, you know, but she just uh, yeah, she is. really has, really has beautiful questions. Um, but I, I wanted to go back to uh, what you were talking about at the uh, outset of the hour, uh, Jason's question. And, you know, it's, it's been, we're, I know how aware and prepared we're supposed to be, um, but there's there's just this feeling feeling that I have of of wanting to you know like feel like I've really left a, a meaningful fingerprint with my life or carbon print whatever you want footprint or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like there's things that I feel like I haven't done that I'm kind of scrambling to do, and especially over this past year, uh, you know. Oh, and don't say posthumously, Pastor. That's not nice. We don't want to hear you talking posthumous. Don't be saying that. I, I, I couldn't slip that past you, could I? No, 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 no. <laughs> don't do that. We got to have a restaurant first, and we got to have Paul's Jesus. We'll come out on Amazon. We got all that stuff to do before, before you talk about any posthumous. Come on now. No, but but that I mean the sensitivity. My my father passed away from COVID. And I talked to you about that when he went into the hospital, but mm-hmm. four days that he was alone, that he had no co- communication at all with, with any of the family. And it just reminded me, you know, that maybe this is, this is good for us, you know, in that sense to realize how extremely fragile and, and vulnerable we are. Even when you see the sign on the, on 410 that says, you know, Texas, has already had 50 road deaths, you know, lower the yeah. statistics and drive safe and friendly, you know. But I, I don't know. There's just this, 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 this past months have just really made my wife and I take inventory and think about what is the most truly important thing that we need to be doing. And we know it's sharing Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the fingerprint that we need to leave. Nothing else matters, and and to continue praying. So that's all. Thank Pastor. you, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, one of the uh, we stress. You know, we want to leave. Uh, we want a legacy. We 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 want to to impact people's lives. 
Uh, and the only thing that matters is Jesus. The only thing that matters is Jesus. And, and, and Jeff, before I was a little kid, long before I was saved, uh, I'd read, I don't know why, but, but from the very early, as soon as I could read, uh, obituaries fascinated me. And I would read, read the obituaries, and, and uh, I, I don't know why I was so fascinated by them. Um, and yet the truth is, um, those people, um, um, they have an eternal question that they're going to have to answer. And the worst possible thing, and we've seen this with COVID, is not being able to say goodbye to people. You know, the, the person that dies doesn't care. Once they're with Jesus, they don't care. And, and if they're not Christians, they're not with Jesus, it doesn't matter either. Um, but, but it's so hard to get closure and that's why these kinds of conversations need to be had within families. These kind of conversations are vital to to those of us who are left behind uh, in, in mourning. We we need to say the things that matter. And Jeff, you're right. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about death. We need to talk about what separation from God means. And what we want to be able to do, and while this doesn't really comfort us emotionally, We've got to be able to say, well, at least they were without excuse because in love I told them the truth. And this is just a really, really hard thing. Um, Like everybody, people in our church have been affected by this. They've lost loved ones um, and and we haven't been able to, to, um, to say goodbye. We're not able to be there when they wake up out of surgery. Um, You know, it's just, it's really, really hard. We've got people even now with uh, family members in assisted living centers, uh, and it's it's the loneliest place on earth, um, and and the guilt and the enemy pounds. It's just something that we really really need to focus on. Thanks, Jeff. God bless you, and I'm sure Paula would love to hear from you on Thursday if you can remember when Thursday comes. Just kidding, you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Mike from our email inbox. Um, It's titled, New to Your Church. Uh, Apparently he's long distance new to my church. He says, Hi, I've started listening since last month. I also listen and go to an apostolic church in Tulsa. I'm curious that you preach on divorce and immoral sins. I've been watching the First Corinthians series, plus the other Bible studies while I work. My question is, do you offer a singles group? And then he says this, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, every man uh, should have a wife and every woman have a husband. Uh, and then he says this, lots of churches preach on divorce, higher low marriage rates, but don't offer a singles group. Uh, they preach on 1 Corinthians, but don't help the single people who are divorced who have never been married. You know, Mike, one of the things, and in, in, um, I've been criticized for not having a singles group um, several times in, in the past. And the one thing that I don't want to do is break down our churches. Or I'll just talk about our church. I don't want to break down our church into groups. Uh, we have a men's Bible study and a woman's Bible study, um, but even that they worship together and then they go do their Bible studies. But to have a, a group for young marrieds or college and career or, um, or, or single um, uh, group, um, is is uh, contradictory to, to, to the unity that Jesus said he wants in his church. Um, so no, we do not have a singles group. Uh, I teach on sin, Mike, because the Bible is, we just teach through the Bible. We start at the beginning of a book and we go through the end of the book. I just happen to be in 1 Corinthians right now. This is the, uh, I think, the, th- the second time uh, we've been through First Corinthians here at Calvary Chapel in our 25 plus years here, um, and and I think it's it's a, a, a very effective book, a necessary book, especially in these last days. However, um, as I'm teaching through the Bible, um, I, I'm doing on Friday nights. I'm giving a good example. On Friday nights, we're teaching through Ephesians, and for the last four weeks, we have been in Ephesians five. Uh, starting verse 21, I did one whole study on submit to one another out of reverence for God. Then wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then I've done two weeks. I got one more week in men, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and going through the end of the, the chapter. Um, by the way, this Friday night, 
um, I, I, I intentionally space the studies so that this will not be a long study to close up, but we're going to have leave time at the end for questions and answers. Uh, I, I want people to get this whole marriage thing right. So if there's questions, real practical questions, we're going to do it here at Calvary Chapel Friday night uh, once the study's done. Um, but the, um, the um, applications uh, are there for everybody, whether they're married or single. The, the word is living and active, and God will speak to your heart, whether you're married or single, through these series of studies. It's not the church's job to arrange dates. And Mike, so many churches have been ripped apart by sin in singles groups because a lot of single people can't handle the temptation. And and, and we're, we're just not going to be a dating service. And, and I, I think um, that's a really solid ground to be on. Um, single people, men and women, um, uh, if, if, if they're learning who Jesus is, if they're following the example of Jesus, and if it's God's will for them to be married, then they're going to find their husband or their wife. It's just that simple. I think part of the problem is we've gotten to the point where we would rather have dating apps do it, we'd rather have social groups like singles groups to do it, instead of just waiting on the Lord, just following Jesus. And Mike, as a single man, I'm talking to you now, um, the, the way you can find a, a wife is to love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to walk in personal holiness, um, to, to, to be satisfied with your relationship with Jesus. As soon as you're content in that, then the desire to be married is a good desire, and he's put that in your heart. Uh, he wants to answer it, but... You've got to be ready. Can he trust you with the woman that he loves? Can he trust you? Do you love him? Is he first in your life? Are you living a sexually pure life? You see, all those are you drinking? Are you angry? Are you using foul language? I mean, those are the kind of things that you've got to deal with just between you and the Lord because until he can trust you with a woman that, that he wants for you, um, He's going to keep her from you. I know that's not a very satisfying answer, but uh, that's the best one. I hope you're enjoying the, the studies. The one thing I would say, Mike, based on your letter, is be really careful at an apostolic church. Doctrinally, there's all kinds of issues with that. Uh, I've been told I've taught 1 Corinthians four times in 25 years and not just two. So, Mike, thanks, and I'm glad you're listening uh, to the show. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We got. I don't think we have time now for any more calls. Here's a question from our mobile app from Alex, Pastor Ron. Where do we see in the Bible that an angel will take one to be with the Lord? I've heard you say it before, but couldn't find that in Scripture. I know you're telling the truth. I just can't find it. Alex, uh, Luke chapter sixteen. Luke chapter sixteen is where we get that information. And then there are other examples, but Luke chapter 16 uh, is, uh, is the, the place where that doctrine is found. That's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And um, that's where it happens. So Alex, thank you for the question. Thanks for listening. Let me see if i got time for one more question before the program ends. Here's one I'll end on. This is uh, from Michelle. How could David be a man after God's heart when he raped Bathsheba and killed her husband? Now, Michelle, the reason I want to get to that question, not delay it any longer, is you're listening to some progressive Christian stuff, and it's junk. There's no way that David raped Bathsheba. That is the feminist view of uh, his sin with Bathsheba, but but that's just not what happened. So um, uh, Bathsheba was complicit. It was consensual. Both of them were guilty of sin, but David is the one who bore the brunt of the sin. Now, there were consequences for Bathsheba as well. Um, the, the, the answer to the question, how could David be called a man after God's own heart, uh, is simple. David was the best repenter in the world. He loved God. He was weak. Remember, David didn't have the Holy Spirit. So he fought his flesh. He fought temptation without the power of the Holy Spirit. How would you do, Michelle, if you didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit? 
but it is um, slanderous and heretical to say that David raped Bathsheba. I realize that's really popular on the internet right now, but um, Bathsheba was putting herself on display. She knew where David lived. Um, I'm certain that's not the first time that he saw her bathing. Uh, that's the first time he took action. David wasn't where he was supposed to be, and thus he got in a lot of trouble. And the rest of his life, he paid severe consequences for that, uh, for the rest of his life. So, Michelle, be really careful what you're reading and be discerning. This is not a feminist issue whatsoever. It is a sin issue. Read your Bible, get off the Internet, and... Um, your life will improve. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, remember, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's and women's Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Um, ladies, you can watch at calvarysa.com uh, as it is being live-streamed. We also have a youth high school and junior high school Bible studies, so you can bring your kids of the appropriate age as well. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. My name is Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.